Just open with a word of prayer this morning. Father, we thank you so much for this day. Thank you, Lord, for your grace in our life and the joy of meeting together and just the refreshment, just the encouragement that our hearts gain from one another. Um, Singing together, praying together, discussing your word together. There's so much, Lord, that is involved in being a church and discipleship. And Lord, it's just so good to, to grow together as believers. I pray that you bless our time in the Word. Um, give us clarity and give us understanding. We recognize your Holy Spirit has to illumine our hearts. And I just pray that that would happen today. And may we go away from this having looked into the mirror of the Word of God and go away and correct anything that we may see, anything that needs to be changed. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this year I've just noticed an emphasis of the discussion and really the debate on Christians uh, abandoning Christmas. You think, well, that's kind of strange. But, but yeah, that, that really is a debate. It's kind of like a war on Christmas. It's kind of goes back from really thousands of years or hundreds of years anyway. And um, uh, there, there's a debate whether Christians should uh, celebrate Christmas. In fact, I, I saw it on Facebook the other day. One of my feeds, uh, it's actually a pretty good-sized group, and it's a group of Christians, believers that are supposedly in this group, and somebody raised the question, should Christians celebrate Christmas? You think, well, what, what is that? So I read the feed. There's way over 100 people who respond to this thing. And, and it, it really is amazing. But the majority of the people in that group said that Christians should not, should not celebrate Christmas. And I was, I was kind of shocked at that, obviously. And, and I just thought, wow. And they're pointing out, well, it's a pagan holiday. It started out as a pagan holiday. And, it, you know, some of the, the discussion that we had in Sunday school on these very things. But it started out as a pagan um, holiday. I talked about the Christmas tree being idol worship. And then, of course, the, the day, the December the 25th, is not really Christ's birthday. And we don't really know that date. And kind of the normal things that, that people would point out. And, and somebody pointed out that the Puritans... And they pointed out to the Puritans, well, they didn't celebrate Christmas. They didn't like that. And, and so I kind of looked it up and, and did some research. And they didn't like it because it was being abused. In their day, it was just a, almost like a drunken feast, a festival. And, and they were concerned about the abuse of it. And they would go to Scripture and try to, you know. Plus, there was a lot of unsaved people that were celebrating this. And they were uncomfortable with that as well. So you can see, and we understand, they'd also point to just the materialism of our day, that we shouldn't celebrate Christmas because it just adds to the materialism of of the sinful flesh of our day. And we would admit, it's become a pretty shallow holiday, isn't it? When the center of the holiday is around a, a jolly old man in a red suit, there's something wrong. Flying around reindeers and, uh, you know, you got to think, okay, can we not do better than that? It's pretty shallow. But even though it's, it's not as Christ-centered as we would like it to be and as we would want it to be, I think it would be a huge mistake to just, so let's just do away with Christmas. 
It is the incarnation. We celebrate the incarnation. The most remarkable thing in history. Of the history of, of mankind. It, it's a profound significance to the believer. And I, I really think it has an effect on the, on the world as well. And so I, I think we should have a celebration of Christmas. Now it's on an individual basis. You do what you want to do. But I don't think Christmas and, and the, the celebration of Christmas is really so much the issue here. I think there's some underlying uh, elements that we, we need to be aware of concerning our culture. I think there's a, a spiritual battle going on. I think there's a spiritual war going on. And we see that in our culture, the battle lines have been drawn. And, and I just think you, you see that. But I think Satan's behind a lot of this. And, um, and my biggest concern is that Satan is manipulating. He is, he is using Christians to tear down things that are sacred, things that are precious to believers. Anything really that is connected to Christ, he's going to want to tear it down. And Christmas, even as watered down as it is, it's connected to Christ, and so therefore, therefore it needs to go. It needs to go. So what you see is Satan, there's not one person, I don't think there's a conspiracy of one person or group of people or anything, but I do think Satan is behind this and he wants to dismantle and deconstruct our society. There's too much of our society that points to God. And he doesn't like that. No, obviously the battle is is raging and and I'm afraid, though, that Christians are, are in the midst of this. And he's manipulating and he's using Christians. And sometimes I think Christians are going to look back in, in history. They're going to look back at this time and they're going to realize that, hey, I was on the wrong side of that issue. And I was being used by Satan to dismantle, to dismantle uh, something that, was, that, that could be precious and valuable and helpful to a society and and I was on the wrong side of that and Satan I think will see at some point that, that he is reinterpreting reality if you will and he wants us to see it from his perspective not God's perspective he's wanting to change our priorities change our perspective change our reality he wants to call good evil and evil good that's what he wants folks we need to be aware of that. We just need to be, uh, just know that that is what is taking place. I'm not concerned so much about Christmas, but Christmas is one of those issues that I believe that, that he's attacking. But I think there's a bigger issue here. Something that we need to just be aware of. I think the bigger issue is how do we handle culture? What do we see? How do we, how do we view culture how are we how are we to live i think the principle is is that as believers we are to yeah as believers we are to build our lives and influence the world according to biblical principles to the glory of god that's just the principle and the question is is how are we expected to view culture how does god expect us uh, how, how can we live in a, a pagan society to the glory of God? How can we build a life solidly on biblical principles in a pagan world? And that's what's happening, folks. As our world becomes more and more secular, we find ourselves really 
more dislike the world than like the world. And so we have to we have to be aware of how we're going to approach this. And you have to think through some things and I have to think through some things. So we're not going to be looking at one particular passage, but we're going to look at several passages today. And, and I want you to see kind of the big picture of what's going on and kind of this battle. And I, I want to narrow it down to two things. I think there's two things that we need to remember as believers facing this culture. I think there's two things that we need to remember. And the one, God's children are to influence the world, not be influenced by the world. You say, well, why is that even an issue? Why is that a thing? Folks, I think that we, the church, is being influenced by the world more today. The church is influencing the world. Unfortunately, that's what I see. The world is having a, a, a bigger influence on the church, and that should not be. I want you to turn over to Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Romans chapter 12. What I want to do while you're turning, I want to develop a theology of, if you will, of the believer's life. And we'll have to use several passages to, to pull this together. But there's three elements that are essential to framing up. Because we, we have to learn how to think so that we can have discernment concerning these things. And a key passage is in Romans chapter 12. Now, this is a familiar passage to you. You know this passage. Let me read verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove that which that what uh, prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, let's think about this. There's a there's three elements that we need to be aware of here. The, The principle is the first principle I want you to see is that. We need to understand that there's a clear distinction between saved and unsaved. That we have to make that distinction. We cannot be like the world any longer. We have had a, a change of, of heart. We, we have been transformed by the gospel. We have now a new heart, a new capacity to love. We are not like the unbeliever. You need to know that need to know that. We're not like the unbeliever. Uh, we have a new capacity to sacrifice for others. We have a new capacity for kindness. A new uh, ability to forgive. Live together in joy and harmony. We have the ability to submit genuinely to authority. We have the ability to have the position of authority and still be loving and kind. We have a completely change of heart there. And we need to be aware that that's a a huge difference, a huge distinction. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, genuine believer before the Lord, then you have had a change of heart. You've got a new heart. It's a new covenant. The Lord said he would take out the old stony heart and put in a heart of flesh. That's what we see. Now, We are called then to love the world. Now, again, you know this verse. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. We're called to love the Lord. We have a new capacity to do that. And we're called to love the the Lord. So, let's just apply this quickly. Number one, we need to make sure 
that we are marked by love. If we have a new capacity to love, then we need to be marked by that. We need to be seen. Oh, there's the Christians. They love. They have that capacity to forgive and be kind and to be tender-hearted, Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says. So we need to be marked by that. Number two, we need to make sure that we perform acts of kindness. So we can have a loving heart, but we need to actually do something, right? We need to actually perform acts of kindness. Now, Christ, he, uh, he modeled this so well. I mean, he could have done anything. To get attention, he could have done anything. Anything amazing. But he used his miracles for others. He, he could have just had lightning bolts shine out of his fingertips. He could have jumped off buildings and angels would have caught him. He could have disappeared and appeared someplace else. Or he could have done all kinds of tricks, right? How did he use his miracles? He fed people. He healed people. He did those things to the benefit of other people. Now, folks, there's a pattern for us there. There's a pattern for us. We get attention not by wearing a Christian t-shirt or looking a certain way or being trying to be different in that way. It is our character and our actions that should distinguish us. We are to, to be distinct from the world and that that starts with a heart change and it moves outward to actions. And we are to be distinct from the world. Number two, we're given special revelation. If you look back at our passage, chapter 12, verse 2, uh, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That renewing of the mind comes from the Word of God. We have to think through the Word of God. We have to think Like God thinks, we have to renew our mind, get sinful thinking out of our mind and put in truth, put in truth. Now, that's significant, that word truth. It's really a dose of reality. That's what truth is, if you just be honest. Truth is rigid, though, isn't it? It's not fluid. It's reality. This is it and this is it. There's nothing else. It can't be this and this. This is truth, okay? It's rigid. Now that means uh, that it doesn't bend. It's, it doesn't. It, it's not flexible. We've had this dose of reality. We've looked at our own sinfulness, and that is the truth. We see that. We see God. We see Him in all His glory. We understand that. That doesn't change. We see God's sacrifice for us. He gave His Son for us. That's truth. We see His grace. That's truth. Now that truth in its rigidity, in its, in its structure, in its toughness has to be structure for our life. It has to be conviction for our own life. It's, it's doctrine to be believed, but it's more than that. It is to be lived out. Okay? It's to be lived out. Truth gives us structure to life. It brings stability to our life and stables our life. It's stability to our family's life. It brings stability to uh, really our neighborhood. In, in our church, men and women, families come together and like-mindedness. And that produces a strength, a stability. We stand together on truth, on conviction. That truth is to be lived out. Here's the bottom line, folks. We have answers. 
We have answers for life. We can live in harmony together. We have wisdom. We've been given wisdom that we can know the balance of life and and have the right perspective and the right priorities of life, the right priorities of things. We're armed with truth and principles to build a life, and we also have the capacity to love. We have both, and they need to both come together. Okay? That's something that's so important. We need to keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. The distinction from the world and truth that we are building a life with. And then number three, we need to know this, that we share this world with ungodly people. (laughs) We share this world with ungodly people. And Matthew chapter 5 is an interesting verse. Uh, It says there that God sends His reign on the just and the unjust, the righteous people as well as the unrighteous people. The reality is, is God allows rebellious people to live on His earth. They get to drink His water, they eat His food, they breathe His air, they enjoy His creation. And we share that. We share this world with unsaved people. Now, God is patient He is patient with these unsaved people. They're messing up His world. They're messing up His world. It it affects us. God is King. We have submitted to His kingship. We are subject to Him. But they're not. They're still in rebellion against Him. So there's, there's that distinction again. And they're messing up God's world. They don't know how to live life to God's glory. So what does that mean for us? Let's apply this. That means that we need to be patient. If God can be patient with the unbeliever in His world, in His earth, and they're messing it up, then we can be patient, can't we? We can be patient. They want to celebrate Christmas, that's great. I mean, it's, they, they at least acknowledge that. You know, we, they're not perfect in it. They don't quite get it. That it's about a Savior being born. It's, it, to them, it's just kind of this religious thing. But you know what? We can be patient. We can be patient. We share this world without unsaved. Number two, we need to be grateful too, don't we? We need to be grateful. Because we would be in that camp if it wasn't for the grace of God changing our life and and changing our heart and giving us truth. So that should produce some graciousness in us. But the key thing, and here's the, the, as far as application, is that we can be helpful. We can come alongside the world and say, look, you're messing up God's grace. Here's the way life is to be lived. Materialism isn't the key. It's the Savior in the manger. Now that's what's important. And we, at this time of the year, we can bring that to bear. We can bring truth to bear in the in this unsaved world. And, and we can help them. We can minister to them. And that's our role, isn't it? We are to point to God. That's what our role is. Everything is to is just point to God. We, we just reflect Him. And if you go back to the Romans passage, we're to, to do it and prove what is good and acceptable and perfect. The world is looking to us, or they've got their own way, but at least we should be pointing out to the world, here's what's good. Here's what's, here's what's acceptable. Here's what's the perfect will of God. 
Now, if all the lights of electricity went off in this room, it would be dark. But there would be still two signs here that would be lit up, right? You'd be able to see those exit signs right there. Why? Because in an emergency, we want you to know where the doors are. We want you to go right out those doors, right? That's exactly what we are to be. We think of light of the world, it's kind of the, this nice, friendly light. But the light, we are the light of the world in an, in an emergency situation, folks. And we come along and we point people to God. We point them to the help. We point them to, to show them the way in their dangerous situation. We are to build a life, a solid life, built upon truth. And we're to do that in a loving way. And we're to live this life that develops character and truth and faithfulness as a platform then for the gospel to be able to share the gospel of people who need it. They need the emergency exit. And we're here saying, here it is. Come this way. Come this way. And we're constantly pointing to God. Now let's, let's, apply, these, let's apply this a little bit in the broader sense. Number one is we dare not, we dare not isolate ourselves from the world. Folks, it would be easy for us. We don't feel comfortable out in the world. They don't think like we do. They, they have wrong priorities. They have a, a different view of, of reality than we do. And so it's, it's easy for us to just stay in this little bubble, but we dare not do that. We, we cannot do that. That people out there on the street, they need us. Let me ask you, on your street, do people that live on your street, do they know that you're a Christian? Do they know that you're a believer? We have to get outside these four walls. We cannot isolate ourselves. Number two, we, we must discipline ourselves. There has to be a purpose to our discipleship. And that purpose is to prepare ourselves, prepare us for answers in the world. Peter said we are to, to be prepared to give an answer to, to any question people would have. And we disciple ourselves for that reason, for that purpose. Are you prepared? So we, we need to disciple ourselves. That means that we, we have enough, disciple ourselves enough that we have confidence in the word of God. That we have dependence in the Word of God. That we've developed convictions. Here's the way I'm going to live my life. This is the way I think that pleases God. And this is an answer for the world. And then number three, we need to make sure that we're ministering. We must minister. God is is creating you. He is growing you as a Christian. He has created you, your heart, your new heart. He's growing you up to minister to a world that needs you, that needs to be pointed to Christ. We need to point to Christ. That's our purpose here, folks. That's our purpose. Are there people on your street that have needs? That you, you can go to, this is the perfect time of year to be able to knock on somebody's door. Hey, listen, here, here's, a, here's a, a treat for you. Is there anything that we can do for you? We'd love to, to help you. We need to be aware of those things. We need to be able to reach out to people, reach out to our neighbors. This is a good time to do it. This is a natural time to do that. We need to be influencing the world, but I'm afraid the world is influencing us, folks. And that's a danger. Number two, and we'll do this quickly. Believers are to be builders of society and not 
tearing down society. Okay? Believers are to be building society, not tearing down. There's three texts that I just want to, to quickly uh, point out to you. Romans chapter 13, just across the way from Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 13 is the passage that was read for us earlier. It says this, Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection. Now, really the whole passage. I could start with verse 1, but just to narrow it down. We, we have to be subjected to the authority not only because of wrath, not only because the authority will get mad at us, but because of conscience sake. That means before the Lord, standing before the Lord, we have to have a pure conscience that, yes, I'm submitting to authority. Those authorities that God has pushed over me, verse 6. For because of these, because of this, you also pay taxes. I don't like paying taxes, but I submit to myself to pay taxes. For rulers are subject servants of God devoting themselves to this very thing rendered to all what is due to do them tax to whom tax custom to whom custom fear to whom fear honor to whom honor owe no man anything except love that's what we owe men we owe them love and we need to pay up we need to pay up we need to be building society and not tearing society down. Here's just the opposite. We could be saying, oh, I have the rights. And I just want to tear down. I want to tear down. I like what we've, we see. But we're not called to be rebels and go in and change society. We're not called to, to, to riot in the streets. It's, it's not our anger, folks, that's going to change society. It's not. It's not. Uh, we're not called to, to weaken authority, uh, topple leadership. We're not called to, to tear down our culture, uh, to cause a revolution. We're not called to, uh, to completely destroy society. There's, there's Christians that are doing that. And I think many times they're used by Satan to tear down some things that are precious that we have to be concerned about. And she said, well, what are we to do? What's the offensive thing? What's the, the thing that we can be actually doing? Another passage is 1 Timothy chapter 2. And this is another passage you know well. Verse 1. First of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men. We can pray, folks. We can pray. God can influence. God can, can work on people. And he says this. For kings, So pray, pray for kings and for all who are in authority. We pray for them. We don't come and we don't beat up authority. We don't undermine authority. We pray for authority, all those who are in authority, so that we may lead, and this is the key, a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. He wants us to live a quiet and tranquil life. Yes, yes. He says this is good and acceptable and the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of... Well, wait a second. If He wants everybody to be saved, then we need to be doing some major things. We need to do this and that and rebel and overturn the government. No, just live a quiet and peaceable life. Live a quiet and peaceable life. And we're building. We're building society. We, we are building our own life on the solid rock, not the sand. We're building, or Christ is using us then to build a church. 
We're part of that. We're, we're building up our family, building up our character, building up our integrity, building up our faithfulness, and God will give the increase. God is the one who is in charge of these things, folks. We pay attention to ourselves and to those around us. We can minister to them. Now, let me show you an example of this. Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah chapter 29. This will be the last passage. We're going to pull this together. Jeremiah chapter 29. Let me lay out the context for you. This is important. Jeremiah chapter 4 through 7. Jeremiah is a prophet. He was, first of all, a priest, and he was a prophet. He was a uh, weeping prophet, is what they say. In the context here, God's people are going to be punished. They're going to be led away into Babylon. The king of Babylon is going to come, and he's going to cart them away, and he's going to uh, assimilate them into the Babylonian culture. Now, that's the idea. Now, the Romans, they had a different idea. The Romans, they'd leave you in your own land, but they would put garrisons, soldiers, in your town so that they can have control. The idea here that Nebuchadnezzar has, no, we're going to bring them to Babylon and we're going to inculcate them with our culture and so that they can, they can be like us. And you know some of the, the men, Daniel... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were ones that were being carted away. They took the strongest and the, the smartest first, and then they would come back later for another wave. And they were leaving their homeland, leaving their homeland. No temple, no priest, no altars, no sacrificial system, no, no leadership. And they were going to be transferred into a colony, into a, a city, a particular city. And Jeremiah was the prophet at this time. Jeremiah, by the way, he lived 50 years, 50 years, and he preached faithfully those 50 years. He lived to be 80, 90 years old. And Jeremiah, his life was just spent to trying to turn Israel around from going to the point of no return, and, and, and that was his life. And he predicted that, that Judah was going to be judged Some of the false prophets were coming along and saying, no, they're not going to be judged. God would never do that to his people. He would never allow that. We're not going to be carted away to Babylon. And Jeremiah, with all confidence, he says, now, when this happens, here's what I want you to do. Look at verse 4. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all of the exile whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Here's what to do. When you find yourself in that kind of pagan culture, that they are against you, they are wanting to push you into their mold, here's what I want you to do. Build houses and live in them. And plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters. And take wives for your sons and give daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply and do not decrease. He says, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. Now that sounds an awful lot like First Timothy, doesn't it? Same kind of thing. This tranquil and peaceful life. That's what they were to live. Israel, God's chosen people in this pagan land. And he goes on to say, for in its welfare, you will have welfare. 
You seek the welfare of that pagan land. God will take care of all of the rest. By the way, he says in verse 4, he says, to whom I will send into exile. God is in control, folks. He is in control. He is in control of this, this people. He's in control, and he tells them, I want you to build, I want you to plant, I want you to marry, I want you to multiply. You mean you want us to flourish in this pagan land? Yes. You want us to bring up children in a, in a land where they murder children and kill children? They sacrifice children to the gods? Yes. I want you to be a model for them. And it's a simple life, peaceful, tranquil life. And he will use that to his glory and to his honor. And, and he did, didn't he? We look at Daniel. He was a, a mighty man in this pagan culture. And, and Daniel was, was used by the Lord. We are to be constructive members of society, folks. We are to seek the welfare of our land, not to tear it down. Not to be those rebels, oh, I'm gonna, we're going to show them and we're going to undermine authority. In this passage, we see what God thinks about living in a pagan land. Uh, we see a, a, a wonderful picture here of living a peaceful and quiet life. We see the richness and the priority of family. And that simple day-to-day life of, of training up children. You say, well, I'm single. Well, you are still a family and you can fit in. You can be helpful in this whole process. Family, stability, establishing themselves in this pagan land. Now, listen, what does that do? That gives them purpose. And, and that makes a world of difference. I have a, I have a nephew. He is a... a Army Ranger right now. I spent a couple years now, or probably more, training. Just training. And, that, and that's the, the most frustrating thing for him. It's, it's almost purposeless. We don't have anything to do. It's just training. We sit and we just uh, we work out. We do all of these things and we train. And he, we don't use it. We don't do anything with it. It's almost purposeless. And God is saying, there's a, there's a purpose here. There's a godly life to be lived in a pagan nation. There's, there's light to be shown in this dark land. And there's purpose. Now my nephew Josiah is getting ready to, to deploy. And he's going to take all of that stuff that he used. All of those years of, of training and preparing. And he's going to accomplish some mission. And it's all going to go to that. Listen, we need to have that kind of purpose with our children, folks. And with ourselves, there's a purpose to your life. Do you see that? Do you understand that? God has a purpose for your life. He would take you home if He didn't. He wants you here. He wants you to be productive members of society. Not tearing down society. Working within the society and and producing, producing. So let's just apply this quickly. We'll make some application here and then we'll be done. First of all, we must live our lives with a purpose. The gospel spreads, folks. When, when families are stable, children grow up and mature and discipled and develop within that family. And then other families come together as a, as a church, as a congregation. They can then send out missionaries 
churches are stabilized. People can grow and then people can minister. That's your purpose. That's purpose. Fathers, you must have confidence in the Word of God. This is what we're going to do for our family. We're going to train you up and we're going to do this. Mothers, you need to be strong and firm in a biblical philosophy of parenting, not wishy-washy like we have today. Relativistic guesswork, basically, and thinking about, oh, maybe we'll try this or that. No, we can stand firmly on the Word of God. We have truth. And then children can grow up with confidence with stability in the family, with purpose. Does your family have a mission? You know what? Let's have your friends into our home so that we can minister to them. Or let's do this so we can minister to our neighbors. Let's do that so we can reach out to our neighbors. Do your children see that we're on a mission here? They're not the focus. They're just part of the the solution. And they're just part of that. And they're just being used. And God will use them. God will bless them. And and they grow up in that environment, folks. That's what we need. We have to seek the welfare of the country Folks, we need to pray for our country. We need to pray for our leaders. Do you pray for your leaders? Do you pray for those who are in authority over you? Are you building? Are you a productive member of society? Are you submitting to authority? Or do you have this rebellious streak? I just want to undermine all authority. Now, folks, we we need to remember that we're to influence society, not to be influenced by society. And we're to build up society. We're not to tear down society. We need to remember that. We need to approach everything with that in mind. Now, folks, we celebrate Christmas in the context of the family. And I, I think it's a good thing. And we are showing the world that the incarnation of Jesus Christ is important to us. But also... We're, in some small way, we're influencing the world. We're showing that there's purpose here to this reality. We've grown up in a, in a land. I've grown up in a land that uh, celebrates Christmas. It's an amazing. It's kind of watered down. It's not exactly what we'd want. And that is a result of people, Christians, who have thought through the issues. It's a debate. It's, it's not easy. There's this and there's that. But you've had people with discernment. They've thought through the issues. You've had godly men and women who have influenced society in the past. Their godly discernment, their godly thinking through the issues. And as a result, folks, as a result, they built society. They built it. They were productive. And we enjoy that today. We enjoy it today. We, we have to be careful not to be used by Satan to tear down our uh, society one little brick at a time. We have to be careful. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you so much for your word and the clarity and just, Lord, for purpose in our life. You, you have um, not left us here to just flounder You haven't left us here to to be aimless and just wander about. You have given us purpose. May we minister. May we help this ungodly world see where they're messing it up. May we provide a light that gives direction and says, come this way. Lord, use us greatly. We recognize that, that we just are living a small little life. 
But Lord, we know that small little life, you give the increase, you can make great things come about. We pray that you would use us. We pray that you would use our church greatly for your glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.